0: Shining a light on podcasts and videos that have caught our attention. The Spotlight with Jen Spiker. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the free Vision Christian Media app. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word.
1: This powerful narrative of Gideon demonstrates for us God is always working on the other side of the camp.
0: Today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. My name is Bill and thanks so much for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. We're in a series looking at Gideon's story in Judges. It's been quite long and detailed, but there's a lot in the epic story for us to apply to our lives today. We've had principles one to five, and now Pastor Jeff brings us life principle number six, God is always working on the other side of the camp. Let's get into the message now. On today with Jeff
1: Vines. I'm always looking for sermon fodder, always looking for material that I can say, you know, this is a great illustration for something I might want to say in the future. And it started to cross my mind there are 64 million sheep in New Zealand and only 4 million people. So everywhere I look, just massive sheep and these massive pastures overlooked by a massive ranch house. To a great degree, the sheep presume that they order their own destiny. They chew the cud, they roam the fields, they make choices and live out their lives without very many interruptions, maybe by a sheepdog or by rams or by humans in the ranch house. So little do the sheep know that every detail of their life is ordered by the people who live in the ranch house. Everything's being orchestrated according to the rational plan of the humans. And then I thought of something C.S. Lewis said. He says, there may be natures piled upon natures, each supernatural to the one beneath it. What he's saying is we may experience natural events, but they often possess supernatural orchestrators. So I wonder, do we really stand in relation to God as the sheep stand in relationship to the humans in the ranch house? The Bible actually says, it is God who made us and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pastor. And while the Bible says that we insist on autonomy, indeed the Bible does say that we all like sheep have gone astray, but our autonomy is no more impressive or effective than the autonomy of the New Zealand lamb or sheep in the fields overlooked by the ranch house. And while it's true that you and I may experience much more freedom than the sheep, because we have a much larger capacity than a little ewe lamb, but it's only because God has intended us for the greatest purposes of all. We have been designed to help people far from God come near, to know God and to make him known. And so as is always the truth in the ranch house, God is ordering our lives. That is what I've been trying to say in the wildlife series, that God is ordering the events of your lives for a purpose greater than yourself, for something that he's doing in our world. We said it like this, every event of your life, from the happy to the tragic to the mundane, is part of a meticulous and purposeful design in which all the elements intertwine with breathtaking precision. It's amazing how God pulls in all the dots of your free will decisions, of his sovereign workings from the ranch house and still accomplishes his purpose. Ephesians chapter two, Paul says this, for we are God's handiwork or workmanship. It's the Greek word poema. It's the word for poem. It means that we are a composition, a highly developed artistic form created from the foundations of the world in order that God may do his great purposes in us that were prepared in advance. That's the whole purpose of this series. And we keep repeating that again and again, that God is doing this amazing work in you, but you have to decide whether or not you're going to live the wild life. The life that makes people stand back and think, wow, that's compelling. That's indeed impressive. Now, just quickly, because we're arriving toward the end of this journey, We said there are seven attitudes. Every day that you wake up, you have to decide that you're gonna live your life that day in 24 hour increments with these seven attitudes and we've covered five. We've said, number one, that God will take advantage of all the unfortunate events of your life to prepare you for the greatest victories of your life. We've said that your greatest appointments with God occur in the midst of our most intense disappointments in life. Number two, we said, God will often ask you to do something that seems to be unreasonable, but it's only unreasonable to you because you can't see the future. You don't know every eventuality. Your greatest victories will indeed reside on the other side of obedience to something hard God has asked you to do. We said, number three, God will always lead you to do that which brings him the most glory. These greatest victories of your life have very little to do with you and more to do with God. Number four, God will strip you of everything you depend on other than himself. We've said that God must remove these things in your life that draw you away from him. Because these dependencies that you have in your life, they tend to short circuit the power of God and wisdom in your life for the greatest victories of your life. Five, last week we talked about how God will send you encouragement when you grow weary and faint hearted. And now we come to number six. And I know every week I say, this is my favorite. Well, it is for this week. Number six, the Bible tells us in this story, in this powerful narrative of Gideon who demonstrates for us the wildlife. Number six, God is always working on the other side of the camp. I just love this kind of story. Let me give you an update. The Midianites have been impoverishing the land of Israel for seven years. God called Gideon to deliver his people. This task has eternal ramifications. The Messiah will come through Israel. If there's no Israel, there's no Messiah. No Messiah, no salvation, no restoration of all that has been lost. But in order for God to use Gideon for this task, he has to equip him. And he's gotta build Gideon's faith in God's faithfulness so that Gideon will trust him and obey his commands and instructions. We've said that with the call of God comes the supernatural power and wisdom of God for the major victories of our lives. God chooses 300 committed men to fight against 135,000 well-trained warrior Midianites. And we said that, Had it been four to one odds as it was in the beginning before God sifted Gideon's army, they would have said, hey, it was tough, but we did it. Even at 13 to one odds, it was difficult, but we overcame. But if the odds are 450 to one, the only way you can be victorious is God. Now, the last time we were together, we saw a beautiful example of God loving a man in his most desperate hour. And we said that even though God sends you out as sheep among the wolves, He doesn't just leave you, but instead gives you a prevailing presence to sustain you through the most difficult times of your life. And at times when he senses that you're becoming weary will send you encouragement. And we saw that in one great act of kindness, God demonstrated his sensitivity to a man who had grown fainthearted, his unconditional love to a man who was willing to be obedient and his sovereign power at a very strategic moment. Now we come to Judges chapter seven, verse 13. What does Gideon do now? He's been given his arsenal. He's been given instructions. He's been encouraged. And here's what the Bible tells us. It tells us in chapter seven, beginning with verse 13, that Gideon returned to the camp and he told the Israelites, okay, fellas, get up. I am certain now the Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. And the Bible tells us he divided these 300 men into three companies, 100 men each. And he placed in their hands a trumpet and a clay jar and a torch. And they're to carry it with them into battle. Verse 17, let me read it for you. Gideon says, guys, watch me now, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly what I do. And when I and all who are with me, so the 100 men with Gideon, blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, you blow your trumpet and then shout a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. The Bible tells us in verse 19 that Gideon and the hundred men reached the edge of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. Now that's important. We'll talk about it in a second. Just as the guard was changing, they blew their trumpets, broke the jars that were in their hands. And then verse 20 says, the three companies blew the trumpets, smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They then shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now let's stop just for a moment because I think this is uncanny. And if we hurry up past the narrative, we'll miss how beautiful this really is. Somewhere along the line, we're not told in the text, God gave Gideon instructions for the battle. He said, Gideon, You're going to attack the enemy camp. Now remember, (laughs) this is 300 men attacking 135,000 warriors. You're going to attack. You're not going to wait for the Midianites to descend on you. You're going to be the aggressor. The odds are 450 to one. And Gideon, your arsenal, trumpets, clay jars, torches, and your voice. And then God says, okay, Gideon, here's the plan. Tell them to blow the trumpets, take the clay jars, smash them on the ground, lift their torch in the air, and then to say these words, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, had you been Gideon? What do you think you'd have said? I know what I'm going to say. I God, that's great. Then what? (laughs) Raise the torch, smash the clay jars, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Then what, God? What comes next? Advance? Attack? pick up a a sharp end of the clay jar we just broke and maybe cut him a little bit with it or maybe burn him real good with the torch. What's next, God? From the narrative, it appears that Gideon had been given these instructions without knowing how it was all gonna play out. Verse 17, he just says to the guys, watch me, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do, but he doesn't tell them what he's gonna do. And I'm not sure Gideon knows what's gonna happen next. Now, here's an important point. Gideon's faith is growing. If you're Gideon, you're thinking, well, when we smash these jars and lift up these torches, the Midianite army's not just gonna fall down and say, oh, we surrender. So what happens next? Now, let me pause for a second. Here's what you learn as you gain intimacy with God and you learn to hear his voice. You have to get to a point in your life where you are obedient, even though you don't know the end. You have to get to a point in your life where you are obedient in total confidence without knowing how everything's going to turn out. Because only when you trust the instructions God gives for the greatest victories of your life, will you experience the greatest victories of your life. And if you have to know how everything ends before you're gonna be obedient, you'll never move forward in faith and you'll never experience the power, the wisdom and the glory of God. In Judges 7, verse 21, we're told the end of the story. It's quite humorous if you think about it. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Besheta, towards Zerera, as far as the border of Abel-Mahola, near Tabas. Here's the translation. They skedaddled. That's what happened. They saw these torches, 300 men, three groups of 100 surrounding the camp, 135,000 Mennonite well-trained warriors. And they saw this torch in the air and they heard the smashing of the clay jar. I don't know what that must've sounded like down in the valley. And then they heard the words, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And they began to run. In fact, the Bible says they were so afraid, they began turning their swords on each other. So Gideon's men didn't have to kill anybody. They terrified them. You say, well, well, I don't think I get it, Jeff. Well, because God had been working on the other side of the camp. You say, how? Because he had sent a dream to a Midianite warrior. And you know how gossip is? Once one person hears the dream and in its interpretation, it spread throughout that camp like wildfire. Next thing you know, every time somebody says the name of Gideon, you're in shell shock. You're terrified. So imagine now in the dark of the night when everybody's half asleep because it's the middle of the watch. So those who are on guard are half asleep. Those who are coming on are half asleep. And the whole Midianite camp is fast asleep. And suddenly they hear they hear this smashing of clay jars They they see these burning torches all around the camp. They start thinking everything that moves is an Israelite. And they start killing each other. So the secret weapon God had all along was a paralyzing fear. The dream and the interpretation spread throughout the entire camp. Somebody said, gossip dies when it hits a wise person's ears. Well, there's obviously a shortage of wise people in Midian, because the news of the dream just continued to spread so that by the time Gideon followed to the details, God's instructions for victory, God knew what was gonna happen. He was working on the other side of the camp. There was absolute fear and disarray. They began killing each other in the confusion, slaying anything that moved. They thought everything that moved was an Israelite and the timing was impeccable. Now I gotta tell you what happens next. At that point, when the Midianites began to run, think about it. They're being chased by 300 men. 135,000 warriors are running from 300 men. Now that's a 450 to one on. Can you imagine one man chasing 450? If you saw that, you'd just start laughing. You'd think that there's something missing here. 450 could run upon one man and just beat him to death. And yet they're running away because God had been working on the other side of the camp. Now, what if Gideon had decided somewhere along the line to attempt this in his own wisdom, his own way? Can I tell you that we are often defeated because we insist upon our own power and on our own resources? Let me say that again. Oftentimes we set about to do something that is honorable and worthy, but we get ahead of God. And we're often defeated because we insist upon our power and our wisdom and our resources. Do you realize how much more you and I could accomplish in our lives if we truly trust God? Because with the call of God comes the power and the wisdom of God to give us extravagant eternal victories. Unfortunately, you and I are extremely impatient. We want things to go our way and in our timing. So we set out to accomplish again, something that is really good and honorable. We, we may have even heard from God, but we are impatient. So we don't wait to get the instructions of God because God knows what has to be done, no matter how ridiculous it may appear to us to win this victory. Cause he's been working on the other side of the camp all along. Do you remember the warning that God gave Gideon when all this started? He said, okay, Gideon, go ahead in your own strength. You save Israel out of the Midianites hand. He says, am I not sending you? What does it mean? I'm sending you. So if I'm sending you, pay attention to my instructions. If God sends you to, listen, some of you are young and you're just starting out in ministry and life and God has given you this great vision. I've said all along that the thing I like about this young generation is they think outside the box. They're all, they have clever thoughts on how to accomplish a task that most of my generation just couldn't figure out how to accomplish it. But if you go ahead in your own understanding and your own wisdom and your own power, you will fail every time. You have to have intimacy with God. You have to learn to hear the voice of God. And you have to make sure that what you're doing is following the instructions of God, not your own passions, legitimate as they might be. I've experienced this in my life in ministry. When we did ministry in New Zealand, our church was growing by leaps and bounds. We had moved three different times from the uh, the Christian school to a community center and then to Albany University. And now we were meeting in the Albany football stadium or rugby stadium. And we were at the end of setting up, taking down. And I thought, God, surely we've got enough people here that you would provide a place for us to, to move into this community and to have great impact and influence. And sure enough, the Albany pub was for sale. I thought, what a perfect place. It had about 10 acres, plenty of land, plenty of buildings they were wanting to sell. And I prayed and I felt that God had led me to do this. Now, here's the problem, though. Even though God had led us to do this, the timing was not appropriate. Uh, And I think the leaders in our church saw this uh, impatience in me and began to be concerned that they may become manipulated by something that I wanted to do that God necessarily wasn't in at this moment. So again, the objective was worthy. The calling was honorable, but I was so excited that I went out ahead of God. Did I hear the voice of God? Yes. Did I wait for instructions? No. Was it a worthy objective? Yes. Was I wise in the way I progressed or went about it? No. If God calls you to do something, you better believe that he's working on the other side of the camp. You need to ask God for clear directions. And then listen and watch. And no matter how difficult it is, once you get the instructions, trust, obey, and move forward. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've been prompted by the Holy Spirit to do something, but you said in your own doubt, God, that'll never work. Do you know that in your weakness, that's when you are at your best. That's when your strength comes to the surface because you have to depend on God because your wisdom can't fathom it. Most of us never try anything difficult enough to need the power and the wisdom of God. We live very safe lives. It's the antithesis to the wildlife. And let me tell you, it's boring and your soul disintegrates a little bit every day. God has been fashioning and orchestrating events in the past to have you interact with a specific situation at precisely the right time for the ultimate victory.
0: Well, I'm sorry we have to leave the message there. But next time on Today with Jeff Vines, we'll hear the rest of this message about life principle number six found in Judges, that God is always working on the other side of the camp. Join us next time for the
1: rest. What's God asking you to do? And everybody around you is telling you you can't do it. Oh, that's too big. It's too hard. It's too extravagant. And who do you think you are to attempt such a thing? If God calls you, to attempt something, you better believe, you better obey and trust that He's always working on the other side of the camp. He's doing things that you don't know about. The problem is most of us give up a little too soon.
0: Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines.